JB, let's put the real Kipper and Bourne show to the side for one second here. Derek, what the hell did I just eat? <laughs> that thing was outstanding. Uh, those are the uh, traditional Portuguese custard tarts, bestelled natas. I can't believe you haven't had that before, Kipper, living you in Toronto. That? I, I Listen, I, you may have knocked my mom's baklava down a notch <laughs> or two. That thing is our, outstanding. The tarts are, are known to do that. Yeah, my my wife, that is like a destination trip for, for us, like once a, a year. Like, we got to go get the proper Portuguese tarts. Those are unbelievable. I didn't even chew mine. I just slipped, <laughs> I just slipped my wrist and just jammed it right in. Actually, you walked in and said, tarts, grabbed one and walked out. It's the same thing. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm glad I, you heard tarts. <laughs> I mucked two already, too, boys. So. Oh, that's two? Yeah, well, he came that's over crazy. early before you guys got here, you know, because I get here so early. So before you guys got here, he brought them over, and I mucked one, and then I walked in here, and there's still some, and I had to Thanks to you, Derek Brandale. I don't care if you uh, play clips or not, hit the wrong button, turn us off. Uh, <laughs> You're, you're, you're in my good books the rest of the day here. <laughs> yes. Nick Kiprios here. Justin Bourne. Sammy McKee. And uh, we got a great one for you. Jam-packed. Including Friday. What does that mean, Sammy? means some texts, baby. Mean some texts. I love getting the texts. You got to get them in early because we get a million now. There was such a huge popular show. We get so many texts. So <laughs> uh, get them in early to make sure they get read. And also... Make sure you go to our podcast and listen for keywords because you can win some lease tickets. So make sure you go into the podcast and subscribing and listening and rating and doing everything you can. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you might even get a little surprise in there. So those are my two things for the day. But text us, text us, please. Going into this week, the Leafs, hottest team in the National Hockey League. I don't think we can say that after, what, one in three since Mitch Marner went down mm-hmm. last, last two, night. Last four. Considered one of those measuring stick games. All right, let's get into this. Okay. Because I'll start this. I saw enough last night where I don't think this Leaf team can beat the Tampa Bay Lightning in a best of seven. Unless we see some bold moves between now and the trade deadline. There, Sammy, I said it. That's fair. I, JB, you know what? He said it harsher off the air, too. JB. You don't think so, eh? No. Not from what I gathered last night. But Kipper, they had a good seven minutes at the start of the game. You don't think that was enough? Well, what is it, then, that makes you feel that way? <sighs> Just, you look at their stars out of the lineup. And they were missing stars. I, I was like, they're missing Kucherov and Point, And you're like, also my first thought. Sorelli. But I watched guys like... Kalorn last night and Stamkos and I'm like Palat and those guys just know how to win they just they've got it they've got that 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 secret formula that you can take out those not just stars but like superstars, mm-hmm. Olympians. They're missing four Olympians last night. Three forwards and a defenseman, Chernak, who would play for Slovakia. Those guys are huge. Yet, I saw Tampa Bay, just through their experience, 
beat the Toronto Maple Leafs. You know what, Kipper? I don't think that's a good version of the Maple Leafs. Like they were garbage. They were they were dog. You know what? I honestly feel like the amount of turnovers. So going into that game, Wayne Simmons had a press conference where he was like, you know, we know this Tampa Bay Lightning team. We got to take care of the puck. Take care of the puck. You know, it's a it's a it's a puck possession game, and make sure they don't have it. And then the Leafs D were serving up, you know, turnovers like Derek's handing out tarts. <laughs> it was gross. I, I, unlike the tarts. I agree that that was the worst game you'll ever see out I mean, of that blue line. Muzzin and Hall were unwatchable. I thought Brody was... Actually, he might have been worse. Brody maybe played the worst game as a Toronto Maple Leaf last night. Yeah. But there are concerns on that blue line. And I agree with you that they're better than that. We know that. But are they... Are they better when they're on their game... And what they'd have to go up against this Tampa Bay Lightning team. And I just don't see it, guys. Let, let me ask you this question here, fellas. Because the Leafs aren't without injuries, and you're talking about that decor. And, you know, it looked a little shaky last night, uh, to say the least. So you're out without Marner, you're without Dermott, you're without Sandine, who are three regular contributors to the Toronto Maple Leafs. Does that equal uh, point Sorelli and Dur- Dermot Kurtrov? and Sandine do yeah. not, no. No, so... Listen, even at the Leafs, you know, their highest, their best roster without any bold moves, like you said, I don't think they necessarily, you know, match up star power wise, which is crazy to think because of how much the Leafs have. It's just, I watched that Lightning team last night, and I think we can all agree, Steven Stamkos is the best player on the ice. I think he's taken his game to another level. We talked about it yesterday with St. Louis. He might have made the Olympics last night. He wants to be on that Olympic team, and I think he's going to be the way he's playing. There were Team Canada scouts at that game last night. Yeah, he's on the team. How, How... Pretty good stage. How do you now look at Stamkos and say ah. last night and watch a guy rise to the occasion on a big stage? And was it Stamkos versus Tavares possibly last night? I don't know. I mean, if if you're talking about filling out a roster from five to twelve, yeah, that that certainly could be the case last night. And while Tavares is having a great season, point production, and really good on the face-offs. Still is yeah. fantastic on the face-offs. Net front presence, but he cannot do what Steven Stamkos did last night, not even on Tavares' best day, and that is provide a pace of play like Stamkos did last night. Tavares can't do that. I even thought the goal Stamkos, uh, St- Stamkos scored played in his favor because it, it was a nothing play, like a, you know the rolling puck, whatever, but he's the type of guy, one of the rare ones in the league that can just hit it so hard, you know, just blow it through a guy, essentially. You know, and that's a lot of those games. You beat Latvia 2-1 one year, you know, yeah. like having a guy that can out of nothing hit one, boy, that is super tempting. The biggest concern out of last night, and... Uh, is is the blue line? That's 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 where I. This is my. Yeah, the forwards weren't that, actually that, that bad. Line, I want to clarify that. I called them garbage. The forwards weren't terrible. That that blue line cannot beat Tampa Bay in a best of seven. Well, two of their best three D were Rubens and Lilligren for sure, right? Yeah, which is you know somewhat concerning, I would say. Although I am a sneaky fan of the Rubens cube. But the Rubens cube. <laughs> uh, you, you, think he well. can, you, you think he can solve a few problems for them? I think he, uh, in my way too early scouting report, can play. I, I think he can play a little bit. I think he looked, Keith talked about it after the game last night. 
he said that he looked a little overwhelmed in spots, but he looked pretty good in spots. And I think that was a pretty bang on description of uh, Mr. Rubens Cube. Yeah, game in, in talking to the people who watch him a lot in the American League, it sounds like he can do everything. It's just a matter of putting it together and with consistency. So that's great. That's great if he comes up and has some games and he gives them a little relief where he can here and there and rise. You know, he is my concern for that blue line. Uh, am I am I over exaggerating it here? Is it just an off night? Is it because maybe it's Christmas and you should be givers, not receivers? So a few more presents for Tampa Bay on an off night. Is that is that the way Sheldon no. Keefe saw it? Let's let's listen to his clips. We did okay. You can't make those kind of plays. Spot them three three goals at five on five. I mean, we give them the power play goal, but the five on five goals are inexcusable. Those are gifts. It's a team like that. It's precisely what we talk about, you know, before the game starts. And you know, you give that team and that goaltender that kind of uh, support, and uh, it's going to be tough to climb out of. You know, I didn't think we played a, a terrible game by any means. I thought our guys worked hard. That we had our chances. You just can't give that kind of stuff up, you know, so decision-making, execution with the puck, very poor, cost us. Who's he talking to? He's talking to Muzzin, he's talking to Hall, and he's talking to Brody. Okay, just... Uh, <laughs> that's the decor, that's, essentially. That's all your money I know, on I the know. blue line uh, without Morgan Riley. That's... That's your core blue line there. Can I tell you something? I've been dying to give you this take today and didn't want to do it off the air. They need to go NBA load management, and Jake Muzzin needs nights off, healthy. Jake Muzzin is a guy who is in his 30s now, plays a hard physical game, and is a big pickup truck of a player. Those, those, his miles wear on him, plus he's a guy in consecutive postseason has taken un, you know, non-contact injuries. He was... I don't know how to describe his play last night, but like he needs nights off, Kipper, he, all year. They need to get him right for for April. He watching him last night, and it's one thing to say, okay, you, you're not feeling it, you don't have the jump, but it's it's not just the lack of foot speed on him now. It's it's puck play. It's the decision making now is as slow as his feet. Which to me is a huge concern. Would you give him nights off? Would you say healthy Jake Muzzin? You're going to play. You can't play back to backs. Like you, you want to win Chicago? You can't do it. You're you're going out west. You're going to have hungry teams in Calgary, Edmonton, and Vancouver. You really want to go play one of those games without Muzzin? What games do you want to win? Those ones are the one in April. You want to win everyone? Well, you can't. You can't play Muzzin. Well, guess who you're going to face in the first times round this year? It won't work. Guess who you're going to face in the first round? Tampa. It's not good. Listen, I, I'm a bit of a Muzzin defender here, guys, and I, it's tough for me to defend his game last night. I, I really think that he's still, you know, we know his importance to Leaf when he's on his game. And talking about the beating that he takes, there's not many guys that limp off the ice. Does he lead the league in limping off the ice, whether oh, it be God. a shot block or getting buried into the end boards? Like, he really does take a beating. It's a compliment to him in the way he plays. For sure. He has but, to have such a presence, Sammy. He has to be that shutdown guy. So much guy. of the physicality is on his I, shoulders because there isn't another guy. No, I, there is not another guy. I can't help but notice that as soon as he started playing with Liljegren, he kind of looked a little bit like himself. So I don't know how much of it is tied to Justin Hall. I don't know what they do in terms of where you play, you know, where you play who where. 
But I really do think a lot of this has to do with the Justin Hall pairing with Muzzin. I, I know Muzzin hasn't been great, but I do think a lot of it has to do with what Justin Hall brings. I think it's well, a fair point. That's both of them struggling. I, I don't, again, Justin Hall, is it confidence? I'm not sure he he knows where he's, his strengths are, where he's best at. But he has known, right? Like, did he forget? It's looks out it's of shape or something. Lost confidence, but yeah. second guessing himself. How about the reality that he's old? You know, for for a guy who just found his career, he's thirty. You know, I mean, not that that's old, but by defenseman standard, he's not. You know, could he be even a half or a quarter step slower from so, a guy who just made the league as an established guy? I think that's fair. And you know, you look at this Leafs team, and I don't really think there's a ton of you know big concerns outside of that one which like i shouldn't say concerns i think there's one big concern and it's that thing i mean you look at the forward group it's solid it's deep you know you got mckayev on the on the horizon here when marner comes back you look at this core it's a pretty great forward core the goaltending's been good you got Mrazek potentially starting tomorrow night that's, like you know yeah. hey that's you got depth there goaltending good you you undersold it there it, yeah you it's a huge understatement so then the big thing here is this two this pairing of Muzzin and Hall, which going back They're to last going year to depend on against best was, lines. Correct. This is a huge concern for the Leafs. Okay. There's no debate. That's why the load management. So, when things are great, you've lost two of seventeen or nineteen, whatever the hell it was. You're thinking, okay, let's add one more depth guy back there. But now, are you? We need maybe two. Maybe well, I, I've heard we, you we, tossing we need, around a couple bigger we, we names need, than a depth we need, guy. We need one top four, and I need a a five, six, or seven. You got to make I a call two. on Hall. Are you can, can Hall be fixed? Because that value contract is so. Boys, we're at valuable. Christmas. We're at Christmas. Like, you, can he be fixed? You're gonna invest what another two months into trying to fix him, and then where are you? Like. I don't know if anybody watched that game last night and you were thinking about maybe adding a Justin Hall to your lineup. Didn't that's didn't a night like that scare you off a little bit? Are you kidding me? I I wouldn't trade for him right now if I were another team for you know, and the type of team that's going to trade for him is going to be a, somewhat of a contender. You you would imagine. And I just wanted you know clarify because we come on here and we've talked about how they've been great and all this stuff. But even when they were having that incredible stretch, those guys there were, were still. Huge warning signs with those two guys. And when the team's winning, everybody's shooting the puck in the net. Things are going great. You know, you're trying not to to key in on the bad thing. But even during that really hot stretch there before they've lost a few, that was kind of an issue. Yeah. So I don't know how you address for me, it. For me, it was just those guys turning pucks over, not making plays and looking tired. And so, you know, that comes down to when you're tired, your puck management is poor. Uh, Derek, maybe we can do the uh, the other uh, Sheldon Keefe clip there on the on- – the, on the lightning we did okay i mean i think we've shown we can play with anybody that's it's not uh that's i mean that, that's obvious i think you know, we were right there obviously we, last game we tied tied late to bring you know to put the goalie out and it's a tight game this one here we, it's a tight game all the way through and uh you know despite the fact that they're missing guys i mean they they played hard they they played the game we thought they would in terms of counter punching when we make mistakes we made mistakes and they made us pay. So um, I think the biggest thing, though, is just 
their team doesn't make those kind of mistakes. They got those mistakes out of their game a few years ago, and they've won a couple of cups since. Our team's got to figure out when we want to get rid of those mistakes. If, if you stay with Sheldon long enough, you can see, you, you can feel a like... He's starting to tweak? No, just, yeah, it's just there's like a halfway point where he's like, nah, I don't want to say too, too much. And it's like, what the hell? You I'll know, just say it. You know I'll what? just say you it. They don't make those mistakes. That and, that and we make those mistakes. That's the way he probably should have started the clip right off the bat is they do it. They don't do it. We do it. They're Stanley Cup champions, and we still have to figure that out. Maybe you've known people like this. He talks himself mad. If you let him go long enough, it'll get, like, he'll work himself into a lather. That was really Which is yeah. great for yeah. us. <laughs> really good for the show. This is like, uh, you know, yeah. the garnishes and the vegetables. Just get to the meat. Get to the meat. But, yeah, and so I didn't see it from the forwards, though. I didn't, you know, I thought there was a lot of great things from the forwards, and in particular, Andre Kasha. You could, you could have success with that for that forward group. I really believe that. But that blue line last night showed me that you are probably two away. And the best example again I could go back is you've ha- you, you already have Victor Hedman. You already have McDonough. You already have Chernak. You already have Sergeyev. And what do you do? You go spend a first rounder on David Savard <laughs> as a as a yeah. as a fifth six just to you know, solidify your chance at a cup. Mark Giordano. Okay, that's what they got to do. And that's where the Leafs are at now, boys. I'm telling you, top four or they're going nowhere. So, I think Sandine has more to give when he returns. Top four, I do. I really Ooh. do. I do. I mean, he's he's shown at that in the bottom pair level that he is dominating it's, his competition. Sammy, it's too big of an ask. Well, here's okay. my, here's well, my at concern. At some point for a cash-strapped team, a guy that has high pedigree is going to have to take a step. But here's my problem with it. The Leafs aren't like other teams that play their bottom pair against other teams' great teams. They stick out. They use their top four as defensive players in the D zone against the best lines. You know, you want to go match up with Muzzin and Sandine. So Sandine's going to see the stand, the the point line, you know, every shift or the Marshawn line. Like, it puts him in a position where that's above his head to me. He can kill it in a third-pair role where they don't use him in a defensive situation. I, I just think that the, he is one of – yeah, they need two guys, but I think he could be one of the two guys. One, yeah. I, I think he's under, underused in what he has more to give. I really do think that. I think come playoffs he's probably PP1 third-pair. Okay. I don't know. Ben Sherratt. Sherratt's your guy. Giordano's my guy. But, I mean, obviously salary cap issues. But, you know, you're talking about salary retention on the other end and waiting closer to the deadline. So a lot of the cap hits done. They can figure all that out. They can absolutely do that. Now, the other news, I think, is, and we just spoke of this, the blue line can look great. When you're scoring goals and you're not spending that much time in your own zone, plus you're getting Every big save out of Jack Campbell in the month of November, you can look pretty good on that back end. But that's not the case anymore. Mm-hmm. More time spent in your own zone and a save percentage from the month of November of 950 Yeesh. to under nine, I think, in the last four for Jack Campbell. So he is he's coming down to earth a little bit. And I thought he still made some big saves last night that held them. A, they gave him a chance. Yeah. But, but he, he may need a break here. Yes. So let's you know, ask uh, Sheldon Keefe on Mrazek. 
And where Mraz- is that? Mrazik, our, our intent is for him to play tomorrow. He's uh, today another full practice for him. So as long as he gets through tomorrow's morning skate and still feeling like he is right now, then the plan would be to, to activate him and, and play him tomorrow. But he has to get to that point still. As long as he gets through morning skate tomorrow, how low is the bar for Peter Morassic's health? Sounds like a big vote of confidence. Just bubble wrap him. I think he's a gingerbread house. It looks great, but the second something goes wrong structurally, it's over. Anything at all. This, this, like, there is no a third time for him. He gets hurt again. You think they're just like, good luck. Well, Wherever. come on. Yeah. How, can you, how can you come back a third time off of uh, the same injury? Yeah, There's some major issues. You're... Your season's all but done. You better rip it right off the bone the next time, because <laughs> no one wants to like help you through another six-week healing process. So can I ask you guys about Campbell last night? And this was just my... I didn't think a lot of the goals were really on him. I, I think, you know, a couple bar downs, one from Stamkos that not many goalies on planet Earth make a save on. Yeah. Do you think Jack looked a little bit fatigued last night, a little slower than usual, a little less pop? Like, do you think there's any world in which this is starting to catch up to him? Or am I just seeing things? Here's what I think. It's no, Im- I, ahead, I, I just think it's legit. Yes. Yeah, me too. I think it's impossible to have a conversation about these goals and go, that goal is because he's tired. You know, you're never going to be no. like, oh, we just, you know. So, you know, to me, that one from Stamkos, you know, could he get a little piece if he's got a little more pop or the one where Nylander pokes it through his legs, can he squeeze it a little quicker? Impossible to guess. But, like, the, the wraparound from Kachuk that didn't go in, there were a few moments where I was like, God, he just, he didn't hold rebounds the same it's- way Kipper. They're like, come on, he had an all-world I know. run that not only are you making the saves you see, he was making saves that he didn't see. The puck was finding him. And it was Velcro. Like it he, he was, was off the charts, that run, that you cannot hold. So, yeah, there's, there's a buffer zone where it's going to come down a little bit, and that's where... You need your, your the boys in front of you yeah. a little bit more. And they weren't there last night. Muzzin wasn't they there. They failed Brody on against there. Columbus, and they weren't there last night. So, and I would have been pissed off in that Columbus game. I told you. they. You give up four at home and a couple late because you're going after a few empty nets, and you're just, it was disrespectful. That game against Columbus was disrespectful to Jack. And they felt it. Nobody really said it. I, I don't blame them, but behind the scenes, you know Sheldon gave it to them. I guarantee he did. Yeah. And I, I, the, the guys would know. Well, maybe if um, if Jack Campbell got some illegal equipment like uh, Andre Vasilevsky, he'd be a little bit better in Oh, that. what do we got here? Well, has he got a big enough chest protector? Like, it's that thing big. Like, <laughs> it's got to be the biggest in the league. They got to get the measurements out on that thing. It's I massive. Agree. I agree. He That's looks, my conspiracy he looks theory. Like an out of it's wax size. Too big. Goalie. It's too big. You know who I, who's going to know about that? Uh, McKenna. Yeah, you guys can ask him when he, when I call him, but I feel like it's, it's got the, it's like the. Who was it that had the big shoulder pads? There was like a huge controversy back in the day on uh, the, Garth Snow. Yeah. They, they said they were putting woods in, wood in his shoulder pads to make it bigger. Yeah, every when he was the on the Flyers, where like Belfour tied strings from his glove to his hip inside his jersey, so when his yeah. arm went up, it made like a little wing. Kay Whitmore really all of that up yeah. though. Those, yeah. those those guys go in, they they look at, they measure the stuff that they pulled. Does not happen anymore. It's still regulation, hmm? Sammy. Sorry, bud. <laughs> Bad news. Sore loser. 
Sammy's not Short having loser. it. Oh, he's, unbelie- good news he's unbelievable. Is, he's the best goal in the world. The good For news, sure. though, on, on I think Kasha's second goal, he, I don't think he felt the puck. <laughs> no, it's true. Kasha is, he was flying last night. Well, no Marner. Can you kind of step in a little bit? He Great opportunity. Yeah, I thought, though, like the way he played changed from earlier in the season when he was like, I'm going to show these coaches that I, I could be a part of this. I'm a part of this defensively responsible role. I'm in the right spots. Last night to me, flying, cheating, and I mean that in a positive way, but like cheating for offense. He was, everything was sniffing. He wanted to score 10 times last night. And I think that's a good thing for the Leafs that they got another guy who looks like him going to get 20 at this pace. Is he a seven or eight right now? It doesn't seem too much of an, an issue in terms of their ability to go in, forecheck, get a cycle, create scoring chances. Like how, how pissed off were you if you're Cooper with, with what, 10 seconds to go? In the in the first period, face off outside. When Matthews walks Belmar, and, and Matthews schools Belmar on the face off like that, that will always scare teams when they play the Toronto Maple Leafs that they have that ability. Yeah, well, it's, but where are they vulnerable? The blue line. Let's bring in Mike McKenna and and talk about a little bit when when you do have a vulnerable defense, the pressure that it does put on a goaltender like. Jack Campbell, uh, maybe you're the perfect guy, Mike, to just speak of when when you're hot and you've run the table pretty good like anybody in Vegas. Uh, sometimes you got to pick up your chips and fight another day. Is that what's happened to Jack Campbell? Well, I don't know if it's time for that, but I tell you what, this guy's performed at a level I never expected, and it's been consistent. And, you know, you look at the past few games and where it's been, it's 3-3, three, 4-4. Three, four, four goals against well look at the quality teams that the that the Toronto Maple Leafs have been facing okay you got the avalanche in the mix you got Minnesota you got Tampa Bay those are teams that are putting up three and four goals a game the problem is that the Toronto Maple Leafs are big dogs too man and it puts a ton of stress on the goaltender as you're alluding to that you feel like you have to be perfect in those games against the big teams you have to come up big um I think Jack Campbell is still where he needs to be. I've, I watch all his clips, and I can tell you that this is a guy whose structure is at a place that I've never seen before in a good way. Like, what he's mm-hmm. doing with Steve Breer, the goalie coach there, like, he has the structure and the base now to succeed, and that's why he's been so good this year is that he never has lost that free-form ability and that creativity. But you see him. He's in his blue paint. He's between his posts. I like his game. I think this is just one of those blips on the radar where, hey, they've played against some good teams. It's going to happen. But I tell you what, though, you really, really wish you could have gotten a stolen win out of those games just for your own confidence factor. Like, as a goalie, you go in, you, you get rattle off a big win against Colorado or Tampa Bay. Those are the ones you look to a couple months down the road thinking you can do anything. Mm-hmm. So how much, you know, like in baseball, they have uh, fielding independent or pitching. You know, you're able to really isolate some pitching stuff. Like, it's tough to do with goaltending. How dependent on... Uh, on defense is goaltending. Like if you're in front of or behind a bad decor versus a good decor, how much does it change things? Cause for me, Campbell also hasn't got the same quality of defensive play in front of him. Yeah, completely. I mean, you can look at, I mean, look at Vancouver, for instance. Okay. That team has been terrible defensively, absolutely atrocious defensively. And Thatcher Demko has been phenomenal, but you'd never know it looking at his numbers, even watching games, four or five goals against some nights, 
it's hard to quantify it. And I think when you really look at the top goalies in the league, and you, you do, you can look at the traditional numbers, but when you really dig deep at the advanced stats, that's when you see how much a goalie like an Igor Shosturkin or Campbell uh, have covered up for their team in some ways, loose defenses that they've been able to make up for. And I tell you what, that worries me when you get towards playoff times because those loose teams are the ones that just can't seem to find a way, it seems like. Um, the teams that are more consistent, that play structured defensively, the Calgarys of the world, right now the way they play defensively, that's a team that those guys, Markstrom, Vladar, they can thrive behind that system. The sustainability is tough when you face this many opportunities. And, yeah, I've been impressed that Campbell's been able to keep his head above water as long as he had because he has been under siege this year, kind of on an undercover basis, it feels like. So, Mike, last night the Leafs de-leaked oil like we haven't seen really all season. And, unfortunately, for Kyle Dubas and Sheldon Keefe, it was – they're they're big boys. They're five million dollar players. Um, mm-hmm. When 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 that happens, is there a chance that it could mess with Jack Campbell's structure and base that you talk just spoke of? Well, yeah, I, I would hope not. I don't think so because when you're when you're at the the level that he is, and in terms of the comfortability of himself now as a goaltender. You gotta trust your your instincts here, and you gotta stick to what's made you successful. But you will find tweaks, you know. And like you look at how maybe your team's penalty killing. If you find out by looking at video and reviewing everything that hey, man, we're giving up too much on seam passes weak side. I've got to get my feet set. Maybe I need to be a little bit deeper here. Those are the tiny little tweaks that you can make, but you're not going to overhaul anything. You know, you have to trust the structure that's been in place and know how to play with it. And I can look around the league and think of examples. I can think of John Gibson in, in Anaheim. That team's really good. Gibson's traditional numbers look really, really solid. But I tell you what, if you're on a two-on-one and you pass the puck, you're going to score on John Gibson because he takes the guy on the front side all the time. You know, these are where you can look to tweaks to your game where even like a Gibson, I think he could be better if he makes that adjustment. Um, For Jack Campbell, kind of same way. You look for little things, especially, it always for me as a goalie, it starts with your penalty kill out. You look at your penalty kill first, that's where you can make your biggest difference, and then you try to hone in on anything beyond that. That's fascinating, the penalty kill stuff. They're looking at some goaltending penalty killing stats. The, um... The, the question we have here in Toronto, Peter Mrazek, getting a, another start here on Saturday night. Um, you know, tell us about coming back from, I don't know if you've come back from a groin injury specifically, but coming back from uh, injury as a goaltender, I feel like any hesitation would be a significant hindrance to your ability to be your best, but I, I know you can't play that way. What are your thoughts when you look at Peter Mrazek coming back into the net? Well, I can tell you what, guys. I wasn't a very good goalie, but I was always available. I never missed a game in my life due to injury. And that's probably the only reason why I got to play so much is because I was always ready to go. Um, But I did play hurt. And you guys know what that means. I didn't play injured, but I played hurt. I played through some serious groin pulls. Uh, one of them, even in the Calder Cup finals against the Toronto Marlies, I pulled it skating off for the extra attacker in game three, guys. Uh, in any case, it is difficult to play around those. But when they happen during the course of the game, when your adrenaline's going, when you know you have to play through it, that's one thing. Coming back from an injury and talking to all my friends that have gone through that that are goaltenders, there's a hesitancy. And that's really why you want to make sure that you get the proper reps in practice and that your goalie coach has a plan in place to build you back to that point where you're comfortable. 
Because you don't want to have to go out there with your groin wrapped up or taped up or extra braces here and there. You need to be able to play free as a goaltender. Your adrenaline will take over, but, man, that initial impasse is what you have to get past. You need those first couple saves to give yourself the confidence that, hey, I can still do this, and my body's going to hold up for me. This is the same injury uh, that uh, he hurt again. And I'm just wondering from here on in, Mike, is there going to be a point in maybe the, the next week, two weeks, a month where it's just forgotten or because this is a recurring thing, will he play the rest of the season knowing at any point, holy crap, man, this thing can go on me at any time? Well, it's, it's tough to say with Mrazek because he's been injured so many times in his career. And I think that it, we'd be selling him short to think, ah, I'm going to be good this time. Like, as an athlete, if you've faced those injuries previously, especially in a like, dude, your groins as a goaltender are they're always in peril. <laughs> you know, you're you're one strong push or one weird piece, one weird contact away from being on the IR again in today's game. It's in the back of his head for sure, man. Like, and he's not just there to back up Jack Campbell. Peter Mrazek's got some pride. He wants to play games. You know, he wants to steal that crease back. I know that might sound crazy at this stage of the game, but you just never know what can happen. We're, all, we're just past a quarter of the way in the season. So I think it's definitely going to be in the back of his head. You try to fight through it. I wonder if it's not in Leafs' management head, though. I mean, he was somebody who's chronically injured, and he comes in, and he's hurt right away. So uh, I, I think for sure that's a that's something that's going to be thought about. It's going to be talked about, and – it's a real thing, man. It's it's going to have to be dealt with at some point during the year, I would bet. Another guy coming back after an absence is Carey Price. And here uh, in Canada, big deal, you know, will he be ready for the Olympics? Uh, we had Doug Armstrong on the other day, and he talked about how basically if Price can get his gear on by Christmas, that might be enough a couple of weeks of seeing this guy play. Um, you know, trying to get the mental side of the game right when you're technically so talented or technically sound and so athletic and talented like Price, you know, what can happen with the mental side of the game? How important is that for goaltenders to, to be in a good place? Because that's kind of the unknowable thing right now, I think, with Price. Well, I, the mental is obviously maybe even more so important for goaltenders because you spend so much time building your technical base, building everything that you know and hold dear to who you are as an athlete on the ice. And it can all go out the window if you're not feeling good. And that's true of anything life. You know, you can walk into the office and feel like crap, and then you just don't have any output. And I think it's really similar for goalies. But to me, a lot of it isn't necessarily the, the mental aspect of just feeling good. It's the mental aspect of how you process tracking pucks, how you process your success on the ice, how you process your movements and how that technical side relates to your mental, right? You need to feel good about yourself. And I think so much of that comes from the repetition of the actual physical element. They're tied together. Um, the hard part for Kerry is going to be, it's been a long time since he's faced live shots, tracking the pucks, a two to three week process, getting that back in time. He'll still be able to go cross crease laterally better than anybody in the game, but will he track the puck the same way? Will he mentally process what's happening in front of him? as quickly as he had before. And again, I think with goaltenders, you know, it's not as simple as like, Hey, we're healthy. Let's go again. There is a longer runway. I always thought at the start of the season, it took me a solid two to three weeks before I was processing things at the level that I needed to, to be successful. 
Here we go again in Philadelphia. Ten game uh, streak, <laughs> and the heir apparent to Carey Price was supposed to be Carter Hart, and he got off to a good start, but a lot of people talking about completely blowing this up, and I can tell you from what I hear, there are teams calling Philadelphia and saying, hey, what are the long-term plans on Carter Hart? Would you be willing to move him? What, no. are, your, what are your thoughts on Carter Hart at this point? <laughs> With the Olympics and with the Philadelphia Flyers and what's going on right there. Yeah, I'd say no, I'm not willing to move him for anything. Uh, homegrown goaltenders are a commodity that you may never get again. Um, with Carter Hart, I tell you what, last year it spiraled. You know, it started off the year. It didn't start great. It finished even worse. He was second-guessing himself. He wasn't tracking pucks. He was defaulting to being a goalie school goalie robot it looked like he'd lost that inner fire. Like, you still need an element of street hockey goalie. You still need to go out there, you know, if you're from the 70s thinking you're Ken Dryden, if you're from the 80s going out there and thinking that I'm going to be Grant Fuhrer, if you're from the 90s thinking you're going to be Marty Brodeur playing in the street for the Stanley Cup, I think he'd lost that. And I, I and when I watched the beginning of the year, I was really encouraged because I thought that Hart and Martin Jones, for that matter, had been resurgent. Their advanced numbers still back up the fact that they have played solid this year, especially Hart. He's fallen off from where he once was, but he's back on track towards being a solid number one goaltender. problem for me with the Flyers is that the care level amongst that team is brutal. You can't allow seven goals against in back-to-back games in the National Hockey League. If you pin that on the goaltenders, you guys all need to look in the mirror. And I don't know the answers for that locker room, what's going on, but frankly, man, they don't care enough. They've already gotten a coach fired. They got well, two coaches, Michelle Terry and on top of Elaine Vigneault. Like sometimes you just got to put your foot down and play and say, "We're not going to be like this. We're going to tighten up defensively." And I think if they manage to pull that off, the headspace that Carter Hart's in now, I think this year is much, much better than last year because he has had some success to rely on early in the season. They've just got to find that factor again. Wow. It's going to be another long year for Flyer fans, unfortunately. Uh, you, know, <laughs> I'm, uh, you, you see them getting back in the mix at all here, or are they one of, what, eight, ten teams now we can write off? I just don't see it in that division. I, I, it's going to be so difficult for them to make any headway to get back into where they need to be. And and I here's the thing, like Chuck Flexer, he made some big swings this offseason, you know, and I think – Missing Ryan Ellis is a huge piece, and you know Joel Farabee has been in and out of the lineup. He's hurt now. He's he, he hasn't really performed to the next level people were expecting, and Broussard amongst others. But who are they going to leapfrog? That's what I'm not sure of. I, I don't see them having a shot at making it. And I, and I thought they'd be kind of a bubble team this year, but man, they're not getting past Pittsburgh. They're not getting past the Rangers, Carolina, Wildcat. I just I don't see it for Philly. I think they may surprise some people towards the end and maybe get close, but I think they're outside looking in. Mike, really appreciate your time here. Thanks for doing this, pal. Anytime, guys. Happy to join you. Thank you. Mike McKenna, daily face-off. And the real Kipper and Bourne goalie guru. We should claim him. He's Yeah, he's our uh, expert analyst. Analyst? That's the word. All right, we're going to take a quick break. We got Brian Lawton, former NHL player, agent, general manager, executive, yada, yada, yada. This guy's done it all, including negotiated for some 
pretty big shooters when it comes to the National Hockey League and ownership groups, which leads us to the next hour. Mike Ozanian, managing editor, co-host of Forbes Sports Money. He, of course, came out with an article that uh, anointed hockey's first $2 billion team. We'll tell you what that team is next after the break. You're listening to Real Kipper and Born on Sportsnet 590, The Fan. The code word for today's episode to text 590-590 to qualify for your shot to win Leafs Penguins tickets on December 29th is Dangle. Jamie, I was just really impressed with Tampa. And I, I've watched them on a, on, on a number of occasions. And sometimes when you watch them lose, it's almost as if... They just beat themselves. The, the Leafs. No, no, Tampa. Oh, okay, yeah, I'm yeah. just saying Tampa. I'm so impressed with the Lightning just in terms of uh, you win championships. It's that old saying, you win it from the net on out. Mm-hmm. And Vasilevsky to that blue line, you're not even up to Kucherov point and Stamkos yet. I, they're just, they're going to be tough to beat. Yeah. No, I, I couldn't agree more. Even John Cooper's like, we're not the same team, but a lot of the, a lot of the same parts are there. Brian Lott now joins us, former NHL player, agent, general manager, done it all. Uh, just your quick thoughts. We we had Tampa Bay come into Toronto last night, and uh, you know the big names that are out of that lineup, and yet, as uh, Sheldon Keefe said, Brian, they they kind of they kind of know how to win. They definitely know how to win. They have surprised us all by assembling a semi-replacement for that third line, utilizing three veteran players, of course, in Perry, Maroon, and Bellamar. Uh, And it's been money for them. Those guys have been scoring. They've got like eight goals in the last 10 games. That's incredible for that type of unit. And then you got Stamkos, who I really, knowing Stammer, he loves to play in Toronto but he's also always super cognizant of his environment. And he recognizes that team Canada is probably should be considering him heavily as they should be a guy like John Tavares. So he would take that as a challenge as well. He's always a motivated hockey player. He cares about his team first, but he gets the whole picture. So I thought he had a huge game. I thought John Tavares played good too, to be fair to him, but Stammer stole the show. Just a, The one theme that we have for me in today's show is that the Leafs do have the dynamic firepower up front with a healthy Marner back and 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 a really solid, solid goaltender in Jack Campbell. Is that enough to challenge Tampa Bay in a best of seven, or is is that blue line is a big of a concern for you? As I, I stipulated at the beginning of the show, it is. It's enough for them to win at least a couple of games in a series, but is it enough to get it done? Um, out of 10 times, I'd say that they'll, they'd win two to three max. It's just, it's a, it's such a big hurdle to overcome. If you're playing a team that has a decor, like the lightning, it's not that they have an average decor, or a good decor. When everyone's healthy, they got a great decor and that wasn't all their decor last night, but you know, the main elements were certainly there. And uh, it's a difference maker in the playoffs, Skipper. You know that. Scoring is devalued. 
and defense has increased in value, and that makes it challenging. And lots Kipper and I were talking about that same decor, and you know, okay, can they add someone there? Uh, we, we mentioned some mentioned some bigger names. I'd mentioned Mark Giordano. He mentioned Ben Sherratt. You know, how much would you worry about upsetting the balance of a team that's you know got about a seven hundred winning percentage here? Um, you know, based on what you perceive to be an issue or will be an issue come playoffs. I think you have to augment that D if you want to be a serious Stanley Cup contender. So I don't think there's any choice. Otherwise, I think you're kidding yourself. Hey, Lots, I want to switch it up a little bit because the latest coming out of the Board of Governors is Gary Bettman and Bill Daly spoke today to the media. A couple things. Uh, Let's start with the debt and, and what COVID has done to the National Hockey League. Uh, Gary spoke of uh, the bet, uh, the debt being a, a billion dollars, but he expects it to be paid off in three seasons. And I'm like, eh, that sounds pretty good. Uh, is it? Is it true? Is this just simply gambling coming in to save the day, or is this wishful thinking? No, I, I certainly think. Uh, Gary was talking about revenues of 5.2 billion. If you work through the math, and those are accurate numbers, which you have to imagine they are, then uh, the players will actually, over the next three years, be able to uh, pay back the billion dollars that they owe NHL owners, as long as you see continued growth as well. Um, Those numbers, uh, I thought they were spectacular for the league. If I look at ticket sales, which is a big ticket item in the National Hockey League, I would have thought that they would be a little lower uh, only because, you know, some places have had challenges. People are still fully aware of COVID. That's no revelation. But ultimately, you have to think that uh, it affects all sports, not just hockey, but all sports that have people in attendance. And as everyone knows, hockey is, uh, you know, one of the most attended sports on the planet. So what did you make of Bettman's comments on Arizona? I'm not sure if you heard them today, but he he had said that there's no problem there. You know, they've missed like 17 payments in a row or something, human error. There's nothing to see here. Uh, I think there's something to see personally. What are your thoughts on Bet- Bettman deflecting over the Coyotes? Can, can you can you miscommunicate 17 <laughs> times? Is that possible, Lots? I'm going to take the fifth on that one. Oh, my God. (laughs) Come on. What is going on down there? Yeah. I mean, you know, part of the commissioner's job is to keep things moving forward. Uh, You know, he feels comfortable. There's so much due diligence that goes on with new owners when they come into the league. That's one thing the league's really improved. Uh, Certainly over the last 10, 15 years, David Zimmerman oversees that department. And he does an incredible job in doing background checks and making sure everything is what it needs to be. So when I look at that situation, yeah, it's it's baffling. There's a lot of stories. Kay Strang has written a number of stories on this. Um, you know, what is the truth? Only the owners in Arizona, I believe, would know that. But the commissioner's job is obviously to... I don't want to say protect them, but, you know. The, protect the, them. Yeah, the, <laughs> well, no, the, commi- the commissioner works for all the owners. That's and, right. Uh, Gary, Gary's done an incredible job of 
you know, moving this league forward. And to be honest with you, through really challenging times with the pandemic, like all the other commissioners of, of the leagues, these are challenging times. But overall, sports teams, you know, as we just saw it, I know you guys are going to have someone on, Mike, on from Forbes later today, Azarian, and uh, sports teams are, are uh, the way they've performed through this pandemic is remarkable. And you, you really yeah, and uh, I just want to say this because, uh, I mean, you come on, you're on TV, you're an analyst, you're a former uh, general manager, you, you've done a lot of things and you speak of it on TV, but a lot of people don't know, uh, Brian Lawton, about you is that you've also been in some high-stake negotiations representing people for ownership groups and, um, you know, including Minnesota, if I'm not mistaken, but just... Just tell us a little bit about about your experience in going through this, and why still in 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 even a pandemic is it is it um, so uh, sought out to be a to become an NHL owner? Like, there's no shortage of people that want a piece of this pie. Still, correct? No, there isn't, and and I am fortunate to spend some time with the commissioner, and you know. He's always been very clear and concise about a number of things to do with the league. But one of the things that I maybe wasn't always in tune with was his argument for scarcity. And the reality is, even though we have more than ever, there's only 32 National Hockey League teams in the world. And the supply and demand is such that there's more people that want to own it than want to sell teams. And that makes for a really favorable market. And the commissioner has always, always, always nailed that one. And I have had a lot of discussions with him. I have been fortunate to represent people um, trying to acquire teams, and that did certainly acquire uh, GP shares of a team. So I've kind of seen behind the curtain on that. Um, It's dicey business, um, but it's interesting. I enjoy it. I understand it. Sports teams are not internet businesses they're not infinite and yet there's probably more complexity that most people more most people would think so when so, they yeah sorry sorry brian go well, ahead no no please go ahead when there's scarcity you know those in demand have there's only a few ways to get their hands on on the product and that's you know goes across all everything right now the arizona coyotes feel like a gettable product they don't have a place to play next year. Like Glendale has said, they're going to opt out. There's no rink in Arizona. So, you you know, I read somewhere today that Batman met with someone from Quebec City. You know, Houston is nearby. What do you expect to happen with this franchise going into next season? Well, there's tons of options. But to be honest with you, at this stage in the game, I don't see any way that they wouldn't be playing in Arizona next year. That is the most likely outcome, in my opinion. That they just work out and, their issues with Glendale. Yes, there are other options in that city. You know, I actually played minor league hockey in Phoenix in the old Coliseum for the Phoenix Roadrunners. If you look at my bio, <laughs> um, that Coliseum is not up to snuff for the National Hockey League, but it could be brought up to it rather quickly. So uh, one thing about the commissioner, he's he's always a few steps ahead in terms of options, but my guess because I have not spoken to him about this, is that the Coyotes, he, he seemed very clear today that they're fine and they'll be playing in Arizona next year. 
I actually believe that. And I know a lot of people might say, well, that's that's phony baloney or that's not true or this or that. No, I, I believe that's true. And I'll come back on your show next year and we'll discuss it. But I do believe that. And I'm certain you guys will save the tape. And nobody, <laughs> nobody goes into any investment thinking that they want to lose money. But it's, it's not the number one thing here. We're talking about some – we're talking about real vanity here. Like some of these guys are nerds that own teams and, and then they turn themselves into like celebrities and they're signing autographs and they're inviting, you know, important people to their box to watch their team. I mean, this is, this is a, this is a big toy for a lot of these guys, but lots, you could have some deep pockets to, to treat it as a toy. You do. It's big business. Um, you know, the, the, the franchise, I look at Jeff Fittick who, took over the lightning when I was down there. I did not continue on with him, but I watched the things that he's done and that organization has done. And there's been a lot of investment uh, by Jeff into the community, into the team, and it's really paid off for him. Is it going to change his life that he's done really well? No. Those are the people that are the best owners that can come in, think long-term, invest in the product, invest in the community, and if you do that, you'd have to be really unlikely not to find success, unlucky not to find success. If you can kind of follow that playbook, and I think Jeff Finnick did a nice job of writing that, and there's been lots of other guys that have done that, particularly over the years that are current owners. So if you have that philosophy, it's a beautiful match. You'll have more fun uh, than any other business most of these guys probably own. Um and you'll just get tons of enjoyment out of it. There's more wealth in the world than ever right now. So sports teams declining in value is not something I see happening anytime soon. Luxury items like that are getting more expensive. So from that perspective, your chances of doing well on a sports team are looking really, really good. And even if you look at the history of sports teams, there's really no other asset class that has stood the test of time the way they have. It's it's been a really steep trajectory for him for a very long time now. Let's Gary Bettman doesn't seem to be worn down by everything that would wear down a normal human. You know, he said today I, something to the effect of, of like, I don't know why you guys thought I might be going somewhere. I'm not going anywhere. You know, does this guy still love it? Is he still? You know, he's he's got his heart in this all the way. He's just baffled that he's not doesn't want to get out. It seems like a lot of pressure, a lot of pay too, I guess. <laughs> there's, a couple, there's a couple of ways you could go with that. In terms of, I am fortunate enough to see the commissioner fairly regularly and uh, to meet with him occasionally. And he's, I don't want to say spry. He's going to be turning 70, but um, he's as energized as I've ever seen him. He enjoys it. Um, you know, it's he's comfortable with it. He's been doing it long enough now. I mean, he's actually, you know, if you want to look historically, closing in on the tenure of his previous boss in terms of time in David Stern, right? David worked, I think, until he was about 72. But in terms of amount of time that he was the commissioner, Gary, of course, was his right-hand man at the NBA before he accepted the job to be the commissioner of the National Hockey League. And uh, I, I just... 
I never would have guessed that when he started because that was such an incredible run by David Stern. But I can't see how the commissioner now in the NHL, Gary Bettman, does not go longer. And I think he made that really clear today. He's feeling good and he's going to do it until he isn't. There's no question that the ownership groups, uh, old and new, back him 100%. And that's part of, I think, his his desire to want to continue on. He likes the people he works for, and they like the job he's doing. That's a pretty powerful combination. It's almost as if Lotsy could have spent the next five or seven in cruise control here, but the pandemic is, I, I think, has put a ton of pressure on him all over again. And if you want to talk about his legacy, it really must, it might come down to uh, post COVID or during COVID. Uh, and it, it it could be easily looked at that gambling will take the revenue to another level. But if it doesn't, where does Gary Bettman go? If we've maxed out tickets and sponsors, where did, where, where's the money going to come from to, to dig themselves out of this hole? outside of gambling? Well, first off, Kipper, I'd say I've, I've been fortunate to know a lot of people that have been very, very successful in this world. And Gary is in the very upper, upper, upper echelon of guys that live for the tough times. So I don't think that deters him. I think he knows 100% um, that, you know, they are challenging times now because of the pandemic, but he's just a guy that's up for the fight and he's going to figure it out. I think gambling is a bright spot that all the leagues are looking at. Um, but I don't think he stays up at night worrying about it. I think he has the confidence having done this job for such a long time that knowing that there may look like there's a path in one direction now and that can evaporate but he'll find something else that'll materialize. So I, I don't think he's losing a lot of sleepover is what I'm saying. I think he cares passionately. I think he's had a lot of challenges, as every commissioner has that's run a league for as long as he has, and he's weathered the storm time and time again. So I think it gives him great confidence. He's never arrogant about any of that stuff, but I think he's very confident in his abilities. Well, as he said, he ain't going anywhere anytime soon. <laughs> uh, that's about as confident as you could be. <laughs> I so sure is. People know that, especially in today's uh, day and age. So there is another uh, view, and because I do have people ask me to say, well, you know, do you want to spend time with your grandchildren or this or that? I, I think that the commissioner, he, he does more of that than ever, and he loves his job. And I think that's who he is. Well, we appreciate your time, Lots, as always. Thanks for joining us. All right. Good luck. Brian Lawton, former NHL player, agent, general manager, current NHL network analyst. So is gambling going to take the salary cap to another level? Gambling is going to be like weed. It's going to be like weed in Ontario, where everyone thinks that this is this cash cow is coming to town. Everyone's going to be rolling joints in the street. And then it's like, yeah, I don't know. People like smoking weed. It's, you know, it worked out pretty good. But I think gambling is the same way. I think if people want to gamble, they mostly gamble. I agree that there is money coming in. There's undeniably money coming in. But I don't know that long-term gambling is something that's going to be a salvation for the league. I don't know. It's me personally. Sammy? 
I, I got to ask. You dabble? You dabble, eh? I dabble here, but very rarely. Big golf tournaments, uh, wild card weekend, the NFL, do a parlay, Super Bowl. So that's it. Is it just, uh, what do you, we got to load up the, the jerseys like a NASCAR? I don't know. So. <laughs> with with advertising? You know, they, they've exhausted all the outdoor hockey you can do. You continue to do that, obviously. You know, I feel like the fan experience, getting people to the games again, is something that is, is at, at risk of being lost. Like, how are they going to monetize all the different streams? You know, streaming is, is one of them in particular. Um, you know, how are you going to make money on the way people consume hockey now and still get people out to the games? I'm surprised that the, the league is saying $5.2 billion in revenue when no one's at the games. I mean, I should say no one, but attendance is way down. I don't know. Just... Can I ask you guys about Batman and just about, is it advantageous, like that word, for him to to be like, to be the way he is? <laughs> it is for 32 owners. I think the, it, uh, just, like the perception of him, you know, I guess he doesn't care what the, the Jimmys and the Joes think about him, but like, well, he's pretty he's not universally one, yeah, despised. He is, but he's not a people's commissioner. But like, he just comes off not, as such a, you know what? All the time. Like, and I'm not going anywhere. But he's not fooling anybody, which I probably appreciate the most, is like he is not He's not trying to win you over. Uh, Brian said it best. He works for 32 guys. I know, but I think that at some point there's a diminishing returns on that when you so plainly are working for 32 guys and not for the fans – I think it pisses fans off, and fans are less likely to want to participate in your product, which hurts those 32 guys. Like, Bettman, to me, seems to have sometimes such disregard for the fan in in protectionism of those owners that it comes off as something like, you know what, then? You know, like, beat it. I don't know. I, I don't. I think he goes too far in the here, he, protecting, you know, Alex Marullo and the Coyotes rather than saying, yeah, they messed up here. Well, but here's, oh, then get the out of here, then. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think it... You know, you look around the other leagues and the other guys are just, just as hated. I guess Adam's, they almost, they almost have to be, Adam I Silver is, I guess, a bit of a get a bit of a exception, but like I think he's trending in that direction as well. But like Goodell, oh, Goodell. despised yeah. by everyone except the owners. And everyone and then, loves the NFL, so Goodell doesn't care. He's like, pay me fifty schmel, he makes I'll go be hated. So much money. <laughs> Actually, didn't he say he uh, makes like a hundred Gary Gary Gary's well compensated too. Uh, he's not Roger Goodell numbers, but I would guess he'd be up around 15, 20 million a year. Just Connor McDavid's and looking at his salary going, that looks pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> you don't take one punch to the head. Yeah, what do you do? And Manfred is not loved either. So that guy's a dope, eh? Yeah. So everyone, I mean, they're in a lockout right now and they're, you know, things are going back and forth. But I just, it just like, I'm a fan. And every time I watch or hear or listen to anything Batman says, like him being like, ah, there's nothing wrong. They asked him. Well, they asked him about it yesterday. He's like, "Ah, we'll deal with it tomorrow." Like, I, you know. But it works for him, and it works for thirty-two owners. It's and cool. I at know the it end does. of the day, it, it, that's all that matters to him. Wouldn't they? Wouldn't and, you and be embarrassed owners. by that? I, I would be if people knew I was just like. Yeah, but you're not built like he is. No, I'm not. And listen, I I respect Gary Bettman and, and what he does and what he's done. But I just personally would find it like, you know, lying to the public, people well, this knowing. Quote, this quote, and like, twisting the words. It's clear that the city of Glendale has an agenda, an edge or an agenda in terms of how they're dealing with the coyotes. I, I don't even know what that means. So, so does Toronto Hydro have an agenda against me? 
trying to get every paid. month. <laughs> every month they're emailing me a bill. The they got an agenda. Is that they're mad about the way it's gone down with the Coyotes and they're trying to embarrass them, right? He, the, Gary says the city is trying to embarrass the team. They are embarrassing. So well, that's that's I, that's true. If if that's coming off your first warning to them to pay a bill, right? But seventeen, yeah. I love I love my employer, but try not paying Rogers seventeen times. See how how your phone works. Yeah, not great. <laughs> see how your see how your lights and your gas work if you go seventeen times without paying. Not yeah. gonna work. So. Well, uh, according to Mike uh, Ozanian, who's done the Forbes uh, list of most valuable teams, and we have him coming up after the break, he'll tell us uh, why they perhaps love Gary Bettman so much. The owners. That's a good point, and the uh, I think the Leafs are paying their bills. On time. Uh, 250 grand or whatever they had to square up, Arizona. I was thinking about the things the Leafs spend that on. Sleep doctor? Uh, yeah, a couple of nights, a couple of steak dinners with the team. Yeah. Two, 2021 NHL team values coming up after the break. You're listening to Real Kipper and Born.